Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello and welcome and thanks to everybody who's emailed to say they approve of the new music. I don't think we need to mention it anymore because it's gone down a treat. So thank you all for your positivity in that direction. I concur. Thank you. Shall we move on? Yes, let's. Uh, did you have a nice weekend? Uh, I did have a weekend that was nice, uh, in parts. <laughs> the thing is, um, it's not... When you say what everybody does say on a Monday, do you have a nice weekend? And I say it myself. But, you know... I did not use that kind of tone. I though. did when I came in, when I was asking everybody. Um, I, I'm conscious you sat down I did. And went, nice weekend. Well, it's just one of those things you throw out, because I am interested. I am quite nosy. But I, it doesn't... I, I'm not in a constant state of niceness throughout my weekend. <laughs> Because sometimes I get quite grumpy, and I mean, it's hard to believe I know, but uh, there are little moments. I was, I mean, I well, don't know about you. Sometimes but I don't think you have to report those to the no, team no, at work, no, do you? you isn't isn't the the point of a weekend? You can just have a grumpiness dump, yeah, quite. and then come in with a l- nice little smile on your face, please, Jane Susan, <laughs> with those closest to you. You can just dump it all on them. Do you sometimes? I genuinely. This is a semi serious point, actually. I genuinely mourn the days before the smartphone. Every, oh. every now and again, I think, take me back there. All the time. Okay, so I'm not alone. No. It makes me feel better. Because I think you and I, I mean, let's just pretend we're the same age. I know, I know you. <laughs> it's easier. It is, yeah. Uh, our weekends of yore, when mm. we were in our teens yeah. or early 20s, were unrecognisable to how they are now and they were just absolutely no question about it better you relaxed yeah, more totally. you worked through more stuff you actually thought about more things you had to get off your ass and do more you stuff had to do more stuff you had to go to places yeah. yeah and sometimes when i see people pounding down the streets to their latest military boot camp whatever it is mm. and they got a coffee in one hand and they're trying to do something on instagram at the same time yeah. and they're going off to de-stress themselves with exercise you just think well, just stop doing all of that. Just chuck your phone in a skip. Yep. And you'd find yourself a lot better. And do what we used to do, which is get yeah. on a bus, go to the shops, walk around Topshop, try and find a skirt, walk mm. around Dorothy Perkins, Cry. try and find a skirt, get upset, Cry. Get up, go and try and find a seven-inch disc somewhere, then think, oh, no, I can't find the right one, I'll buy a 12-inch. Mm. Wait for the bus, the bus is gone. Oh, dear, what am I going to do? But you, But it did allow you to actually 
I think, experience more emotions, which is just quite a healthy thing to do. I, I think you're right, and sometimes I do despair, another semi-serious comment coming up, at, it's, a de- it's detrimental to family life. You can be sitting at the table, and whether it's four of you, two of you, three of you, whatever your family makeup is, or whether you're just housemates or whatever, there's that permanent distraction. Someone's always looking at their bloody phone. Mm. And it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm beyond getting sort of tearful about it, although I have had my moments over the years at home. Just like, fuck your phone! I I don't know. I'm just sort of going through a phase of slight mourning for what used to be. And I don't know whether it'll ever come back. The thing that I really miss as well is that sense of time being different during the day. And that's not as stupid a comment as it might first appear to be. But you know what I mean? There was, a, there was a kind of setting to a Saturday morning and then a different setting in the afternoon mm. and then a different feeling on Sunday because when you and I were young, God, oh, we sounded yeah. like last of the summer wine, mm. but the, there weren't any shops open. No. But you genuinely had to have yeah. something else to do on a Sunday. Kids, you had to make your own fun. But I think, I think, that's, I think people just, I think they had sex. I can't think what else people did. Well, there's church. <laughs> well... <laughs> And it goes on for an hour. Yeah. But um, but you know what I mean? Mm. Now I think it's perfectly acceptable to watch a small Netflix movie on your phone at 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning. It shouldn't be. You're quite right. to do that. No, that should be for later in the day when yeah. you're relaxing. Oh, I don't know. I just I, Occasionally I just really feel quite yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. And then there just seems to be a whole industry around relaxation. And you're having to buy into that industry because all the other industries have made you feel like you're not relaxing enough. And that just seems preposterous. Well, if you've got any thoughts, if you can liven up the mood a bit, because we're both sounding a little bit distracted and it's Monday. But the sun's out. It's been a beautiful day in London. Mm. Hope it's been lovely with you. May the blossom be fermenting on all your local trees unless you live on the other side of the world. Uh, And that reminds me, lots of you have been in touch from all parts of the globe and we're very grateful. Yes, we have. We do seem to have a really fantastically global audience. Jennifer. Uh, has got in touch to tell us about house prices down under. Yeah, go on. Cause I and this was this because really of the lottery winner thing, wasn't it? That yeah. if you won a £1.5 million, it actually just really wouldn't get you far enough no. in life uh, in this country. So we were wondering what it would buy you elsewhere. Uh, hello, Jane and Fee. I too thought, hmm, as I listened to the podcast about lottery winners and thought a million dollars wouldn't go far either down under. The pandemic resulted in a lot of people in Melbourne and Sydney selling their houses and moving to the smaller and friendlier city of Adelaide, where they got significantly more for their money, sending house prices in Adelaide spiralling out of control. Oh, that's what happens. The CBD of Adelaide is surrounded, that's what, Central Business District, yeah. uh, is surrounded on all sides by the wealthiest suburbs. So if you want to live close to the city, you're looking at one to two point five million dollars for a family home. Also, most houses in Adelaide are single level dwellings. That's a bungalow. <laughs> well, just, it's a bungalow. Just a little bit of interpretation. Do you remember when Joan Collins <laughs> went out with a man called Bungalow Bill, Bill. Wiggins? <laughs> oh, we were trying to explain that, weren't we? Yes. I think to the younger crowd in the office. Well, go on, explain it to me again. Why was he called Bungalow Bill Wiggins? <laughs> because uh, he was big downstairs with nothing up top. That's it. 
poor old Bill. I don't know if he's still with us. Mind you, we've got to be a bit careful here. We were killing off various people last week. You turned out to be completely alive. So. Hello, Bill, yeah. if you're listening. Uh, also, as Jennifer says, most houses in Adelaide are single-level dwellings and three-plus bedrooms. So if you want a small house, two bedrooms or less, the only option is an apartment. And then she says, in comparison, my sister's three-bedroom house in Northern Ireland, a 20-minute commute from Belfast, is worth about £200,000. Uh, she says we're still saving for a deposit in Adelaide and we're rubbing our hands with glee as the idiots who paid over the odds for houses during the pandemic are now crippled by the increase in interest rates. Isn't it lovely to watch somebody else's downfall, Jennifer? I'm glad you're enjoying that. Uh, she says everybody just got too greedy, so I think it's allowed. Yeah, And greetings too to Bob in Carmel in Maine uh, in the United States. Um, I think it's Carmel. Carmel? I, I don't know. Anyway, uh, Bob says on house prices, I sold a one-bedroom flat in Enfield about 30 years ago and when I looked online recently the same flat last sold for a bit more than my current house is valued at here in Maine at around $300,000. My house is a modern ranch style three bed two and a half bath about 2,000 square foot on over just over 20 acres of land. My old flat in Enfield would probably fit in my living room. Maine is one of the safest and most beautiful states in the US, but because there is no so much land available, house prices remain really affordable. Um, Bob says, I'm a full-time carer, so I listen to a fair bit of radio during the day, usually starting with the voice of Maine and then switching to your show at 10am. Oh, well, thank you for that, Bob. That's really interesting. He's a politics junkie. Um, your show is my favourite because it never fails to improve my mood and make me smile. Oh, that's very nice. Well, that's brilliant, Bob. Thank you very much. When and are we coming over? When are we coming over? Because that looks good, doesn't it? It looks, looks really lovely. nice. And, uh, of course, it'll be a big day of American politics news tomorrow, won't it? We have sort of slightly... Whilst I'm far from uninterested, there's something about the way that everybody's just allowing that buffoon to get his moment in the spotlight again that's driving me slightly mad what do you think is going to happen the other side of that moment in the spotlight i think it'll all just grind on for months and months won't it and he'll probably be still fighting the court the legal case when when he's almost certainly running for president okay this is donald trump in case case anyone's waking from a stupor thought we were talking about paddy ashdown they're not no (laughs) no paddy's no longer with us oh sorry we're, we're certain about that aren't we Yes. Uh, And a quick one on property prices from Melanie. Um, My old school friend Emma introduced me to Offair. She says, I work and rent in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. For a three bed apartment on the northern edge of Riyadh, I pay the equivalent of £5,000 a month. Wow. Um, It's a nice compound, but prices in Riyadh are crazy. I'm just trying to think. It has got three bedrooms, but even so. Would That's I, a lot. That is a lot of money, isn't it? Having said that, I'm thinking, I guess you'd probably pay that for a house in parts of London for a month if you're renting it. Oh, easily. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And you'd pay way in excess of that if you wanted to be in central London. Yeah, that's true. This is just ridiculous. It is. Yeah. Can I just say about Paddy Ashdown? Yes. I think he's one of those people, isn't he, whose uh, life and reputation was completely ruined by that headline because yeah. i don't think anybody listening was listening to what you were saying they were thinking of paddy pants down weren't they as soon as you say his name mm. and i think uh and they should be thinking about his formidable political career and his service in the special boat service <laughs> well all of that yes but he was a very very dedicated politician he was 
who did apologise for his affair. But it was such a clever headline. That's the problem, isn't it? It's like, I watched all of the George Michael documentary that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, the zip me up before you go-go headline, mm. which if you were going to take out all of the emotion, the prejudice, everything else surrounding it, from a journalistic point of view, it's a very, very clever headline. But it's that kind of stuff that stays with you and completely obliterates, uh, obliterates you know, yeah. the nuances of a story about homosexual prejudice basically mm. so i just put that in there because that's what i was thinking and i was about paddy pants down and then i had to check in with myself and uh, get over it uh, dear jane i've been a fan of your broadcasting for years and i especially love your podcasts with fee thank you <sighs> you get many many things right in my opinion i know what's coming but you were wrong about the mayor of Casterbridge on Thursday. Okay. And I feel compelled to email and urge you to reread this brilliant novel if you've not done so since you took your O level. The opening chapter is not set at a wife trading fair. It's set at an agricultural fair at which the main character, at this point a poor agricultural labourer, currently unable to find work, gets drunk and in a bitterly cynical mood declares as a joke that he's going to auction his wife and daughter. He does not expect another man to rise to the joke and give him five guineas for them and wakes the next morning ashamed at what he's done but unable to find her. The incident overshadows the rest of his life. Well, so it should. Quite. <laughs> <laughs> the next day he moved on, found another wife and lived happily ever after. Exactly. By Wednesday he was over it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although it prompts him to give up drinking and he prospers economically and socially. Mm. Thomas Hardy seems in his personal life to have been quite cruel to both his wives, but in his fiction he writes with astonishing sympathy and insight about the experiences of powerless but usually dignified women, dignified women living at a time when society applied unjust double standards. Uh, please give it another try, says Elizabeth. Do you know, I've got to be honest, I won't be giving it another try. No, only because I don't think I've ever read a book twice. Have you not? No, I just because there are so many books in the world, I don't want to, I don't want to relive them. I just wouldn't, I just don't feel that that's something you should do. Okay. I mean, it's a very personal thing. I know some people hold certain books very, very dear and I read them every year when I go to Tuscany. Uh, but I don't. I okay. just don't, no. I, yeah. just don't. I got something wrong last week. Oh. I know. Uh, I was picking up uh, a book, which I'm still reading because I'm doing it really slowly. I'm sort of savouring it. At the Table is a, a great paperback I've been recommending. And I got the name of the author wrong. It is not Claire Stewart, as I said last week, but Claire Powell. And Emma, who I think is a friend of the author's, has just corrected me. So Claire Powell's book, At the Table, make sure you read it. I couldn't be any clearer, could I? No, and it's always good to just do a correction. God knows I've got enough things wrong too. Uh, this from a person who wishes to remain anonymous says, Hello, my favourite podcasters. I won't be too gushy, but you know that you two bring me great joy each week. Uh, I was listening to your listener's email about the platy jubes equivalent for the coronation. I write from New Zealand, where this week I attended an industry conference. The corporate world here in New Zealand is littered with examples of taking normal words from the English language and giving them odd corporate meanings. We socialise an idea. We take the organisation on a journey. Uh, this week, though, I think we reached a new low. A well-meaning speaker at the conference talked about the need for 
Collaboration. Oh, no. Yeah. That's dreadful. Collaboration. I started laughing before realising that the speaker wasn't joking. I know language needs to evolve, but this feels like a new low, and I wanted to share it with you two, who are such extraordinary linguists and who bring me joy with your clever <laughs> use of the English language. Well, we're not that, and uh, I can mangle an adjective uh, in my sleep, actually. Uh, but that's terrible, isn't it? Collaboration. I, I don't never, let it catch I never on. ever want to hear that again. No, no um, absolutely not. Um, can I also just add this is a rant from somebody whose name I think they're perfectly happy to give. It's Ivy who says, I'm compelled to write as Friday's pod, which I normally listen to to let me fall asleep, kept me awake. This is our royal special. Royal special. Which dropped as a special regal treat to ding you last dong, Friday. Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. Yes, as the, are we calling it the Corrie? Cory Bobs. Cory Bobs. Cory Bobs. I do apologise. Uh, gets ever closer. Although, in all honesty, it isn't something that people are talking about, is it? Anyway, and we did hear today that every public building in the country can apply for a portrait of the king at a cost to the government of eight million squids. Do you know what? I've, I've got some very, very bad feelings in my waters about that story because I think that story ends up with photos with, with of enormous piles hanging around of pictures of king charles that nobody's yeah. applied to have we don't know that's going to happen well we don't but as we were saying on air today you could just photocopy something from a magazine and put it in a very nice ikea frame get a stamp and stick it in a teeny <laughs> tiny frame <laughs> they come out don't they yes they're coming out soon on yeah. wednesday or thursday Is it wednesday i think Are you yep Phila my, <laughs> my inner philatelist is all a flutter. Yes, and you need to put it back because it's not very nice to look at. Uh, Ivy says, Valentine Lowe and Roya Nika are very interesting. And then they said, the public have warmed to Camilla and the majority have come to accept her. No, says Ivy, I don't agree. There are a lot of us who simply cannot forgive the disgraceful behaviour when Diana was brought into the royal family like a lamb to the slaughter. And not just by them either. Those words Diana said on her engagement about her being fine with Charles by my side were unforgettable. Camilla will never be my queen and I'm not the only one, rant over, says Ivy. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sounding like I'm sort of faintly laughing at Ivy. I'm not, because I think there are other people who think that along those lines, actually. And um, I, too, am old enough to remember uh, Diana's very first interview uh, when the engagement was announced. And she was so young. She was so young and really didn't know. I don't think she had a clue what she was letting herself in for. I really don't. Uh, anyway, so Ivy, um, try to enjoy the coronation in your own way. Perhaps by simply ignoring it altogether is what I'd suggest. Yeah, it'll be interesting, won't it, to see what uh, what the other channels put on the other sides. Um, what Not would like you put? I guess, up about it. Mission Impossible. One of those uh, John Wick movies. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> not, not a, <laughs> decent, decent bargain hunt. Oh, oh yeah. no, I think they'll do. They'll do a nice uh, location, 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 won't they? Um, yeah. I suppose so. Yeah. Well, they could just strip a whole bumper day of that or Friends or something right across the day, couldn't they? Yeah. Or... Channel Four always like to do something wacky and alternative. Yeah. Yeah. They'll, yeah, they'll need something spikier than that. Uh, won't they? They'll probably. Well, BBC Two will just send Greg Wallace around a factory. I would imagine. And why not? Oh, that man, I tell you what, you know, where is he going this week? Oh, it's um, it's Jaffa Cakes. He's visiting the Jaffa Cake factory. I can already see the expression on his face as the little bit of orangey jam plops on 
to a spongy biscuit base. <laughs> and you know what, Greg? I've just seen it before. Sometimes when, when he's on MasterChef and he's eating, because he takes a very large mouthful, doesn't he? I can't watch. John T. Rhodes, as he was always known in our house. The kids thought he was called John T. But anyway, John T. Rhodes, he had a normal-sized fork. Yes. And Greg would always come along just have this, like, comedy amount of food on his fork. Oh, he's a big unit. Yeah. Mm. plonking it into his yeah. mouth. Lovely! Yeah. Well, anyway, he's let loose on Jaffa Cakes this week, so you've been warned. But I should say these programmes keep getting commissioned because people are still watching them. So despite the valiant efforts we've made to ease people off their Greg Wallace dependency, some people are still addicted. Don't yeah. I don't understand it. Well, we just need to get into that commissioning office, don't we, and throw all of idea, all of our ideas on the pile. Mm. in front oh, you keep saying this and we're nowhere near that office no nobody's invited us in a uh, quick one from Susie Walker I could talk about house prices all day to be honest uh, two stories for you house prices a friend who lives in a tiny flat in Maida Vale came to visit me in our beautiful grade two listed six bedroom house in North Yorkshire <laughs> when can we come when I said we'll be That's downsizing twice you sounded I desperate know. about visiting a listener I want a holiday you're on holiday next week aren't you yeah. uh, when I said we'll be downsizing she asked about the sale price being very British I said it was start with a seven that is very British we then had an odd conversation about how to spend that much money until I realised she was talking about seven million pounds whereas I was talking about the actual price of seven hundred thousand pounds her one bedroom flat had just been valued at seven hundred and fifty thousand pounds at uh, some point, this nonsense is going to have to stop, isn't it? I don't think it will. No. I don't think it will, because I think in some parts of the world, wages in odd industries uh, have matched those kind of house prices, which is why people can ask that amount of money for is them. It? So we're led to believe it all starts with bankers' bonuses yeah. and then just works its way through the population. Yeah, yeah. and that's obviously still true. Uh, just a tiny birthing story from Susie. After our first child's birth, there was a great deal of needlework required, and I sympathise with you, Susie. I very much felt that I had an affinity with the bio tapestry myself. <laughs> Off went husband with our new son, leaving me to wait alone for half an hour before being left to the tender mercies of a female doctor to put the mess back together. So Second birth, husband was told to stay with me, which the lovely and frightened man did. Uh, in walks a male doctor, to my delight, at least he would know what the before was supposed to look like, which the female doctor hadn't. Hello, Peter, says he. They knew each other from windsurfing and continued to have a chat about races, sails and the wind. Not a word to me. Not a word. She was up in stirrups. If they'd cracked open a beer and used me as an ashtray, it wouldn't have surprised me. We stopped at two children, but we are still happily married. Right. I mean, they do have to bear in mind that that sort of conversation can profoundly irritate the woman in stirrups. I like, I like it when you say things like that. Profoundly irritate. Beep the beeping beep. Yeah. yeah. Quite. Okay, who was our guest today? Our guest was Elizabeth Day today. Jane, what was she on to talk about? She was on to talk about her book, Friendaholic, um, which is and it's interesting because as she, as she points out in the introduction, there aren't that many books about friendship, which is crazy because I think everybody needs friends. Although, interestingly, Stig Abel, Times Radio's breakfast host, has um, actually owned the fact that he doesn't have any friends. He does keep talking about it. And I find that... I do find it odd, and I know it's hard sometimes to carve out time for your friends, but I don't think it's a good thing to have no friends at all. I really don't. I don't care whether you're male, female, non-binary, whatever you are. I think everybody needs somebody 
not necessarily that you go way back with because it's not possible for everybody but someone you can shoot the breeze with and offload and actually be available to yourself as mm. well yep i wouldn't be able to get through life without my friends they are the grouting yeah it's it's really important i mean i, I do think i mean i but having said that i was reading elizabeth's book this morning and towards the end she talks about how you can be a friend to other people and I suddenly realised there were two people I probably should just message just to see how they are because they've had various things going on. And I hadn't messaged them. You know, I'd been busy, I'd been preoccupied. And you have to do it, don't you? You do, I just check my phone. Right. Uh, so a 2017 Relate survey... It's not come through yet. <laughs> a 2017 Relate survey found that an astonishing 13% of people didn't have friends, which I do think is odd. Anyway, everything you need to know about friendships is covered by Elizabeth in her book, including topics like ghosting. And she speaks to really honestly about her infertility issues. And I think she's really brave because, as she's about to say in the interview, um, sometimes those stories don't end with a baby. They just don't. And those stories have to be heard as well, don't they? They do. Uh, we began by telling her how delighted we were to have her on the programme. Hello, I'm delighted to be here with my two friends. No, we're more well. delighted. Oh, we are Let's delighted. Let's have a competition. Let's have a delight off. Yes. <laughs> yeah, OK, you start. Because I find it hard to gush. I'm from the north. I know, OK. But you two will be fine together. Yeah, we will be. Uh, can we start with life taking a different direction? Because you have written very movingly about not being able to have babies yet and the pain that you felt along the way. And also how much it's hurt you, mm. the way that friends of yours who've had children have not really dealt with you not having children at the same time as them in a very nice way. And I know that that has caused quite a stir. And I wonder what the kind of feedback is that you have had from mm. uh, pre-publishing that part of the book. Yes, I wrote a whole chapter in Friendaholic about fertility and going through a life phase that not all of your friends will understand and not all of your friends can accompany you on. And that chapter was extracted in the Saturday Times magazine and I felt extremely vulnerable about it. But often when I feel vulnerable, it's for a good reason. It's because I've told the truth about something and that can be really exposing. So I was slightly anxious when the Times magazine piece went out. And then I was overwhelmed by the most extraordinary response from people who have walked the same path as I have, unsuccessful fertility treatment, recurrent pregnancy loss, saying that they felt seen and thanking me for putting something into words that they hadn't been able to articulate. And then I also got amazing messages from parents saying that they also had felt seen because part of the point of that chapter is that the fetishization of motherhood specifically does us all a disservice when we see those things online that are either proclaiming that motherhood is the greatest thing ever or roll on gin o'clock, it's so stressful being a mum. Those things make people feel excluded whether they're parents or not. And it just so happened that my fertility journey started at a time when that fetishization was becoming ever more noxious. And so there were some outer circle friendships that fell by the wayside because they couldn't understand where I was coming from. And I couldn't understand where they were coming from because they treated parenthood as if it was an exclusive private members club. And unless you were a parent, you couldn't possibly hope to understand the depths of their love. These are things that I heard all of the time and it really upset me and I felt unsafe sharing what I was going through. So perhaps some of the blame is also mine in that I didn't speak up soon enough. But, but it's very hard to know what you would have said. 
it is hard. I, I think it took me a long time to realise that just as people are absolutely allowed to say what it is to be a parent, I am also allowed to say what it's like not being one in a society that has been geared up for families for so long. And that's all I was saying in that chapter. And it, that's absolutely not my saying you can't celebrate your children. I think it's marvellous. And I know many amazing parents and many of them are amongst my closest friends. It's simply that historically, women and men who have experienced fertility issues have been silenced or felt that they've been silenced because they felt this misplaced sense of shame and stigma. And I want to do a bit of redressing that balance. Mm. And because I do have a platform, that's what I want to use it for. I feel very, very passionately that it's part of my purpose on this planet. So I think you said some really, really important practical things as well. And one thing that I really noted uh, was when you said that you have not wanted to endlessly be asked by friends who've got children to come and babysit their mm. children as if somehow they are doing you a favour by imposing children on you. Uh, whereas, of course, what you want are children of your own, not exactly. somebody else's kids. Yes, exactly. But they've probably been doing it in a well-meaning way, haven't they? But it's that's unhelpful, isn't it? Yes. I mean, I can only talk from my own experience and I know that there are plenty of people out there who probably delight in babysitting other people's children. I don't happen to be one of them for all children. It's not a sort of catch-all thing. <laughs> um, and you're right that I think... We've done a lot of thinking, rightly, about elements of privilege over the last few years. And fertility is also a kind of privilege. And that's not to say that everyone should be thinking all of the time about their particular privileges and thinking all of the time about the other things that other people don't have. It's just essentially uh, all I want is for people to to have a bit more thoughtfulness and a bit more kindness when thinking of other people who don't experience exactly what they're experiencing. And it's exactly that. I just found it, at the deepest point of my fertility pain, I found it so difficult to know what to say when someone said, well, just come around and babysit our baby. You know, you'll love it. I was like, I don't think I will because it's a bit like you saying, come and have a drive in my Bentley and I failed my driving test eight times. But worse, because it's, it felt to me like a biological failure. It felt that I was failing to be a woman, which obviously it wasn't that, but that's how I felt. And actually, one of the things that I found heartening is that many parents have got in touch to say, yeah, we don't want to babysit other people's kids either, to be quite honest. <laughs> Yeah. And I have to say, whilst talking about this, that my truest friends were amazing throughout this time. You know, my best friend, Emma, has always seen me with such sensitivity and clarity and acceptance to the extent that she's got two delightful children and often she won't talk about them. And I have to ask her to talk to me about them because she's so sensitive that she goes to the other extreme. So I also feel incredibly supportive by friends who have made an effort to get yeah. it. Uh, Emma presumably is Emma in real life. I did wonder yes, throughout yes. the book whether yes. some pseudonyms have been yes, used. Yes, they have been liberally applied. <laughs> okay. Can I just read this email from yes. a listener who's actually really grateful to you, Elizabeth? Um, we don't need to mention her name, but she says, I belong to the club of childless people, not out of choice, but circumstance. And the Associated 
difficulties have been painful, destructive and relentless. Uh, now I'm in menopause and I'm not being psychologically controlled by reproductive hormones. Mm. I'm experiencing gratitude for my freedom and independence as a woman in her mid-50s and beyond. I was really excited to hear that Elizabeth Day is with you on Monday. I was gripped in the grief of not having children when I first came across Elizabeth's work and I can't express enough how comforting I found her words, discussion features and interviews. Thank you, Elizabeth, for your honesty and openness. So there you go. Gosh, that's so beautiful no, and has made me cry. A satisfied customer. That's so beautiful because that's someone who's been through it and is on the other side of it. And I am at a stage in my life where I am letting go of the idea of motherhood. And that, I know, will cause me sadness and grief for the rest of my life. And at the same time, I also know I can be at peace with it and that it offers me lots of opportunities I wouldn't have otherwise. And that's why I'm so grateful to hear from people like your listener. So thank you for sharing that, because you make me feel so seen and hopeful for the future. Yeah, and also, I think what you've done is so remarkable, because you have enlivened a whole community who have felt silence before, and it's not very many people, actually, who who were able to do that. So that's my gushing bit Thank of, you. of tribute and friendship well, to you. That was so kind of you. And I also think that, you know, I got very used to reading, because we do talk more about fertility now and miscarriage, and I'm so grateful to be a small part of that change. And sometimes you read pieces or you listen to interviews and the person has this excruciating agony that they experience, but they end up getting their baby. And I almost feel that it's a responsibility of mine to talk and write about this, not having had that conventional happy ending. Yep. Uh, let's talk about some of the other notions of friendship in the book, because everything is covered. And you start with uh, quite a lot of revelations about your own attitudes towards mm. friendship. You say, I became almost manic in my pursuit of friends. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, do you want to just explain a little bit why that yes. would be the case? I would love to explain my own dysfunction. <laughs> Here Thank <we> go. you. <laughs> yes. So um, I wrote Friendaholic. The prompt was that during the pandemic, during the pandemic, all of our diaries emptied out overnight, and I realised two things: one, that I missed my dearest friends very, very much, and two, that I wasn't spending enough time with them because my time had been taken up by saying yes to other things to work but also to acquaintanceships to people that I might have met on the bus and suddenly I found myself in a friendship with and I thought well that can't be right and I need to address the balance where does my mania for making friends come from and so I went right back to my childhood and I also looked at lots of academic studies in this area and I think for me when I was four, we moved to the north of Ireland. As you can hear, I've got a very English accent. My dad was a surgeon. I wasn't anything to do with the military. But in certain quarters, I was seen not only as a representative of the occupier, but the enemy. And that's quite a sort of scary position to be in as a child. And at secondary school, I got a bit bullied. And that left me with... Um, a visceral need to find safety in numbers. So when I left that secondary school in Belfast and I went to a different school when I was 13, I went with this almost Machiavellian sense that I had to befriend the most popular girl in my year and we were going to be friends and then I would have access to this group and I would have a tribe and I would 
belong and be accepted. And I think that mindset carried on into my 20s and 30s. And alongside that, I think I was a bit of a people pleaser. So I didn't have a strong sense of who I was or a strong sense of self-worth. But I thought if other people accepted me, then that was good enough. Then I must be doing something okay. And actually, I didn't take the time to understand who I was. And what I didn't realise was that there's a difference between true belonging when you're accepted for being who you really are and fitting in when you cut yourself to fit according to someone else's cloth. And I was doing the latter. And actually what I've realised in my 40s is that I need to spend much more time doing the former. So that's where my mania for friendship came from. And it genuinely was a kind of codependency. Do you believe that there's only a certain number of very close friendships that anybody can have across their lifetime? Now I do. I I don't think I used to, but... I learned a lot writing this book and I really did geek out on some of the research. And there's been amazing work done on just this, specifically by Robin Dunbar, who's a professor of evolutionary psychology at Oxford. And he's famous for coining Dunbar's number, which is the maximum amount of human connections the human brain can cope with, where they know every single person. They sort of know their family background. They know their name. These are the people you'd invite to a big wedding. And that number is 150. But he then finessed his research and came up with Dunbar's layers. And in the innermost layer, you have up to five key relationships. And if you fall in love or you have children, that will cost you two of those other friendships because you simply don't have enough hours in the day to nurture something so important because you actually need to spend time with your friends in order to sustain those friendships and to get to know each other. That does, It doesn't have to be physical time where I'm sitting opposite you at a lunch table, but it does have to be a sense of relational depth. And you can only do that if you give them enough time and attention. And obviously, you can't do that for everyone. You'd be spreading yourself too thinly. And then your truest friends might feel a bit like, well, what about me? And then you might lose them organically anyway. Uh, I was grateful for the fact that there were a couple of spare pages at the end of the paperback (laughs) of the book where I could write a little list of exactly that. And I won't be the only person who'd done that. Yeah. And I found it a really, really refreshing thing to do, to just write down the people who I think of as truly, truly great friends Mm. and to just slightly, you know, lose the rest. I think we're under pressure, aren't we? We're under so much pressure in a way that we're not with romantic love. With romantic love there is an assumption that you might have a number of romantic relationships before you find someone who you might want to settle down with. And even then, that can end in divorce, as we all know. But there isn't the same degree of shame that we feel with a friendship. With a friendship, you're meant to strike up some sort of common ground with the person that you sit next to at primary school just because their surname starts with the same letter as yours. And then if that friendship doesn't last for life, you feel that you've somehow failed and you're a terrible person. Even the language of friendship up till now, good, bad friend, is moralising. Yeah. And actually, I just want us all to get a lot more liberated with the idea of letting friendships go with love, knowing that they have formed part of our life, but they don't need to be in our life forever. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Elizabeth Day is our guest this afternoon. Friendaholic, Confessions of a Friendship Addict is her latest book. As you were saying, it really should be easier to ditch friends, shouldn't it? <laughs> uh, there's a quite an interesting story that you write very honestly about in the book where you are basically dropped by mm. someone. And it's painful, isn't it? It's so painful. Yes, the story that I recount in the book is when I was ghosted. Seemingly overnight for me by one of my closest friends and I spent years literally years trying to work out what I must have done wrong and it's a sort of slow motion grief of the kind that I've never fully experienced writing about it was incredibly cathartic and since writing about it and since the book was published so many people have got in touch saying that it happened to them which makes me feel less weird so that's nice but um it was one of those things where Looking back and writing about it, I have so much more fondness for this individual who I gave the name Becca um, because I understand that the lack of language around friendship means that, especially if you're conflict avoidant and you did once love your friend, that sometimes you don't want to say the thing that it is that has made you drift apart. And I think that we were in just different life phases, personally and professionally, and the thing that had originally bonded us was that we'd felt sad. And actually, when one of you starts to feel happier, that can throw the other person's existence into sharp relief. So I think it was that. And I think that she just couldn't find the words to convey that. And I have a lot of sympathy for her now and a lot of empathy. Mm. And now I hope that partly what I do with Friendaholic is that I do offer ways to use words. And I do think that there are ways of letting friendships go where you can lead with love, but you can also state what it is. And it is such a weird thing that I think we forgive ourselves more easily when we lose touch with ex-lovers than oh, we definitely. do with friends, don't we? Definitely. And, it, and it should be the other way around. Yeah, and actually there's sort of an expectation that you should lose touch with ex-lovers, certainly from my husband, as it pertains to me, <laughs> which is actually something else that I mention in the book because I talk about whether you can ever truly be friends with a romantic ex. Well, you do, yes. and But you're happy to name him your main example uh, not of yes. an ex but you're you're very good friends with Satnam Sanger aren't yes. you and it's a very lovely chapter Aww. actually about whether or not boys and girls can be true friends I think it's inured into us to believe that we can't well especially if we grew up in a certain age and culture 
And so, yeah, I grew up, I came of age in the 80s and that, 80s and 90s, and it was sort of prime fodder for romantic comedies. So I did grow up believing the When Harry Met Sally conundrum about that idea that straight men and straight women can never actually be friends without the sex part getting in the way. And I don't think that's true. I think that all relationships have an intrinsic nature and sometimes we mistake them for something else. But with Satnam and me, we were set up on a romantic date and rapidly established that there was no chemistry whatsoever. He said that, by the way. I'm not shading well, he him. He said you looked like a horse and he then he changed like a... it to a llama. As yes. if that... Thank you for reading the book so closely, Fee. Yes, he said I looked like a horse on our first date and said he meant it as a compliment. So I tried to take it as a compliment. And when I raised that, because I interviewed him for the book, he said, I was thinking recently, not a horse, more a llama. And I said, well, that's even worse. And he said, no, they're really pretty. And I said, no, they've just got long eyelashes. They're not actually really pretty creatures. Anyway, he's become a really good friend and I'm so grateful for him. Yeah, it's a lovely warm chapter, that, actually. Uh, I did want to ask you just a tiny question. Uh, and this, this isn't me trying to say, you know, I've read every single comma in the book. Why did you have to take your nail varnish off when you were going for an operation at the Italian fertility <laughs> clinic to change the shape of your womb. Oh my gosh, I love how closely you read every sentence. You have to take your nail varnish off because they put a blood pressure monitor on to check that you're not dying when you're under anaesthetic, to check that your heart okay. rate is regular. And I had shellac nail polish on and that can interfere. So that's why. <laughs> okay. right. it was just niche. A it was a thing. niche question, but it, I Very niche it. and I apologise. Shellac is good though, isn't it? It's amazing. Well, I've currently got dip powder on don't know if you tried that but it's changing my life i haven't tried it. dipping powder what yes. world is this you speak of you sort of dip your fingernail into this these colored granules and then it comes out it's it, it and the effect is like shellac but it lasts for longer and it doesn't chip wow there's an improvement on shellac that's it i can't, I, I can't <laughs> you know, it just doesn't compute jay may leave the studio now straight <laughs> to the salon for the rest of the afternoon elizabeth day's new book is called friendaholic and i would highly recommend it there just is something in there for everybody uh, and there's quite a lot to be learned from it too Yes, there really is. And yeah. tomorrow um, we are talking to an author who is new to me, I think probably new to everybody, uh, because she's terrifyingly young and talented. How young? She's 26, I 26. think. And she's written this book called In Memoriam, which I have been talking about for weeks because it really left an impression on me. And uh, it's about the First World War and about... Um, well, we'll, let's, we'll talk about it tomorrow when we interview her. But I've no idea what she's going to be like. I'm not even sure how often she's been interviewed. But the book is really successful, so it should be really interesting. Looking forward to that. Uh, anything that we've been talking about today, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Jane and Fee at times.radio. Uh, thank you for liking our new theme tune. As Jane says, we like it too. Uh, so don't feel that you need to write in about that, but pretty much everything else will take. And I will also take um, other people's thoughts on the Abba Void show, which I I did see on Thursday of last week and um, I just I mean there's so many brilliant parts of it but there are also bits that you just think mm, come on get back get back on stage keep doing your thing um, but the champagne beforehand was quite pricey how pricey I'm not prepared to say really is it higher than a tenner way higher really lower than a thirtier no jeez not for a glass for a bottle? For a bottle. Oh, oh, I thought you meant by the glass. No, for a bottle. Oof. Mm. Ooh. Yeah. And you can't bring your own stuff in. I thought of that. Jane Spondulix, <laughs> Susan Garvey. I know. <laughs> 
No, we will. Let's talk, let's talk more about avatars because I'm fascinated by all of that. Well, and and it's, it's a really interesting conversation about allowing yourself to age. And as a very, very, very famous person, if all of your stuff was mm. in, you know, the full flush of your youth, how mm. you feel about that? Because that's why they're avatars. Yes. Uh, well, I don't, are they avatars or holograms? I'm not quite sure what the... Mm. I don't know. I think they might... I don't know. But what I actually, I left thinking, wow, if this is what they're capable of now in 2023, if I can stagger on for another 20 years, I will literally be sitting in my front room with my robot carer and I'll be able to see the Beatles live in the front room. I'll be able to see the Rolling Stones. I'll be able to experience so much stuff without moving a muscle. You won't. You'll still be doing this bloody thing with me, mate. Not in 20 years. You will, as an avatar. They'll just pop us into chat GPT and off we toddle. And we'll still get paid? Yes. Okay, great. Let's embrace the future. (laughs) Have a good evening. You did it. Elite listener status for you for getting through another half hour or so of our whimsical ramblings, otherwise known as the hugely successful podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. We miss the modesty class. <laughs> our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler, the podcast executive producer. It's a man, it's Henry Tribe. Yeah, he's an executive. Now, if you want even more, and let's face it, who wouldn't, then stick Times Radio on at three o'clock Monday until Thursday every week, and you can hear our take on the big news stories of the day, as well as a genuine interesting mix of brilliant and entertaining guests on all sorts of subjects. Thank you for bearing with us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com